Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Well, Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Earl, for that encouraging testimony. We look forward to continuing to do great things to your family. Well, I and a bunch of other people as well just got back from our annual MJAA uh, Messiah Conference. I had a great time. Uh, and being, over, being there with over a thousand or more fellow Messianics uh, from all over the world really brought home to me, uh, in a fresh way, our vision and calling as a Messianic Jewish synagogue at, at its Chaim. Uh, and that vision and calling uh, is to reach our people, God's chosen people, with the gospel. We are called first and foremost the lost sheep of the house of Israel, to seek and to save the lost. And our priority as a congregation, the reason why we exist, is primarily to preach the gospel and to proclaim it to the Jew first. That's our vision, our calling, and everything else must give way and give priority to this mission, to what I'm going to call our prime directive. Now, I'm going to get into, into more detail in a, minute, in a bit, but with this backdrop, I want to first start by speaking more generally about two key topics uh, as a follow-up to the last message I gave, uh, the topics of evangelism uh, and also, secondly, what it means uh, to be and to become a, a Yeshua follower. And you may think you know what it is to, to be a Yeshua follower, Uh, But sadly, research shows that the majority of people in America who call themselves born-again evangelical believers live a lifestyle indistinguishable from the secular world. So there's a lot of people who culturally call themselves believers, but personally are not followers of Yeshua. Indeed, Yeshua himself warns us in Matthew 7.21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. So many who call themselves Christians or who call themselves Messianic Jews will one day be shocked to stand before Messiah and hear him say in Matthew 7, 23, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And so we need to ask, what does it mean biblically to come to Messiah and to be a true follower of Yeshua? And how do we lead people, especially our fellow Jews, uh, to him, uh, to their Jewish Messiah? How do we lead people to become Yeshua followers? Indeed, there is no more important topic than how to proclaim the gospel of the life and death and resurrection of Yeshua and how people come to believe this gospel and put their saving, life-transforming faith in Messiah and become followers, become disciples of Yeshua. So let me start with this topic of evangelism, the proclamation of God's good news of the coming of Yeshua the Messiah. And so according to the scripture, what is evangelism? Uh, I'm going to define it this way. This is my definition, and every word here is important. And I put it on the overhead. Evangelism is the proclamation of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, with the aim of persuading people to repent and to trust in Yeshua. 
Let me repeat that. Evangelism is the proclamation of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit with the aim, the purpose, the goal of persuading people to repent and to put their faith, their trust in Yeshua. So with this in mind, look at Acts 1 verse 8. Where before he ascends back to heaven, Yeshua tells his disciples this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, evangelism is the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, And this term proclamation is based on this word here in Acts 1-8, the word witnesses. Yeshua is telling his disciples they're all going to be his witnesses. And, and, And this, by definition, necessarily involves communication, proclamation. Evangelism always means proclamation. It always involves verbal or written communication of the message of the gospel using language that the lost can understand. It's a proclamation uh, of news, uh, the good news, of salvation and forgiveness and reconciliation with God through Yeshua the Messiah. Now I want to emphasize this need for actual verbal communication or proclamation because in parts of the body of Messiah today, especially in America, and especially when we're reaching out to our Jewish brothers and sisters, people often take the easy road and make the mistake of thinking that our lifestyle alone uh, and being a good person, a nice, per- a nice person, is sufficient, and all we, that's all we need is to be our witnesses with our life, to be an effective witness. Uh, now, yes, of course, we want to live righteous lives. We want to be kind. But that is not evangelism. The enemy loves to find subtle ways to silence us. But in Acts 1.8, Yeshua doesn't say the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you so that you'll be nice people. Uh, and so you'll be kind to your unsaved Jewish neighbor or friend or classmate or coworker, Or even that you'll do good deeds and good things. No. The message of this text is that the Spirit of God will come upon you so that you can speak. So you can, um, because that's what a witness does, right? Think about a witness in a courtroom. A witness in court comes up, goes out of the stand, and what do they do? They testify, exactly. They speak, they proclaim. They proclaim what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced. And the word for witness here, by the way, is the word matureo, the word from which we get our word martyr. Think about it. Yeshua is speaking these words to his apostles and the other disciples in Acts 1.8. And tradition tells us the ten of these eleven remaining apostles lost their lives, all lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. And the eleventh, John, was tortured and then exiled to his tiny island because of his faith. So these men, hearing these words in Acts 1.8, whereby Yeshua commissioned them to be his witnesses, would die. Why did they die? Because they went out and, and were nice people? Because they did good deeds? No. They died because they proclaimed the gospel. Because they proclaimed it to our people in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria. And then to the ends of the earth. And it's the same reality with our brothers around the world today. Today. Today, in China, or North Korea, or Burma, or India, or Bangladesh, or Pakistan, or Afghanistan, or Iran, or Iraq, or Syria, or Saudi Arabia, or Somalia, or Sudan, or Nigeria, or Libya, and elsewhere, 
Our brothers and sisters are being persecuted for their faith. They're being persecuted not because they're silently witnessing with their lives. No, they're being persecuted and tortured and fired from their jobs and having their property confiscated and being imprisoned and often killed because they're being faithful to Yeshua and witnessing of Him with their mouths. Because they are verbally proclaiming the gospel. Whereas in our culture, where we have the freedom to proclaim the gospel, we too often sit in silence. And we hide our faith under a bushel. And we mouth platitudes about how we witness with our life. I'm sorry, that's a cop-out. Because we're called to witness with our words. We proclaim the gospel. That's what evangelism is. Uh, And in doing so, we need to avoid fancy theological terms or or insider uh, technical Hebrew phrases. Rather, we need to use language that people can understand. Uh, that secular and reform and non-religious Jews can understand. Because there are 90 to 95% of the Jews in Dallas. And because they're, they're the Jews we're going to run into and interact with and who are most likely going to be open, God willing. And so we gear our message to them. Not to the 5% who are Orthodox in Dallas and who are unlikely for us to interact with very often and who are historically least open to Yeshua. The goal is to speak in such a way that your audience can understand. That's the work of evangelism. Uh, So look at the people you actually live around uh, and interact with and ask yourself, how can I best communicate the gospel to them in a way they can understand? Uh, We'll put this on the overhead. Uh, That's evangelism. It's proclamation of the good news of Yeshua and exhorting people to turn from their sin and to turn from their self and to turn to Messiah Yeshua. And when we share our faith, we need to make sure that we don't water it down, but that we preach the full gospel, the full message, which, as we discussed last time, includes things like this, put this on the overhead, uh, the holiness and the love of God, uh, the sinfulness of every person, the atoning sacrifice uh, and victorious resurrection of Yeshua for our sins, uh, the necessity of repentance, and the need for trusting faith and submission to Yeshua as our Lord. These items are are the essence of the gospel that we need to communicate. Uh, So we need to be careful not to deceive ourselves into thinking we've evangelized just because we mentioned God to someone in a conversation. Uh, That's not evangelism. You know, Muslims can can mention God. That's not evangelism. They, They can say the same thing. Okay, well, you say, well, well, I mentioned Yeshua. Well, so do Jehovah Witnesses. So do Mormons. So that's clearly not enough. To evangelize is to proclaim the fullness of the gospel. Remember our acrostic from last time put on the overhead? Uh, gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L. G is God's character. O is the offense of sin. S is the sufficiency of Messiah. P is a personal response that's needed. To repent and trust in Yeshua? Uh, The eternal urgency of this message, of the urgency of heaven and hell? And six is L, though, is the life transformation that results from true saving faith. This is the gospel. 
And evangelism is the proclamation of this gospel. And as Acts 1.8 says, it's a proclamation of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the direct result, Yeshua says, is what? Is that you'll be a witness. You'll proclaim the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Think about this. According to Yeshua in Acts 1.8, the power of the Holy Spirit is given to you. The God of the universe, the God who created everything and who rules over all, has put the power of his very presence inside of you and me. Wow, think about that. If you're in Yeshua, you have the very power of God's presence dwelling within you. Which leads to the question, why? Why do we have the power of God's spirit, the spirit of Messiah dwelling in us? Well, well, Yeshua tells us why right here in Acts 1 verse 8. Uh, Let me put this on the overhead. He's given us the power of his spirit for the purpose of proclaiming his gospel. That's the primary purpose why we're filled with the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture, that we might proclaim the gospel. Now, yes, we have the Holy Spirit for many reasons, uh, to convict us, uh, to comfort us, to encourage us, uh, to guide us and lead us, to teach us, to fill us, to empower us. Yes, the Holy Spirit does all these things. But the primary purpose for being filled with the Holy Spirit according to Acts 1.8, is, is, is to be Messiah's witnesses and proclaim his gospel to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Indeed, if you study the book of Luke and the book of Acts, you'll see eight times where this phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, is used. And every single time, it's associated with some kind of exclamation or proclamation or communication of God and God's word. So, for example, in, in Luke one thirteen, it talks about uh, Yochanan Hamabiel, John the Immerser, being filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Why? Because he's going to be the one to proclaim the coming of Messiah. And in Luke one thirty nine, uh, his mother, John's mother Elizabeth, is filled with the Holy Spirit. We read this in Luke one forty two. We'll put that in the overhead. Luke one forty two. In a loud voice, uh, she exclaimed, "Blessed are you, Miriam, among women, and blessed is the child you'll bear." Again, she's talking, she's talking of Miriam giving birth to, to Yeshua. And then in Luke 1, 67, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesies that his son, John, Yochanan, will be, will be, be the one who prepares the way for the Lord. He's saying this in Luke 1, 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you'll, be, for you'll go before the Lord to prepare a way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. So three times in Luke 1, we find this phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, every time it's focused on proclamation of the coming of Yeshua. Then you get to the book of Acts. Uh, Acts 2, uh, verses 2 or 4, on Shavuot, on Pentecost, we see tongues of fire, right, rusting on the disciples. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other languages, all the languages of the world. Uh, and what, did, what do they speak? They proclaim the gospel of Yeshua. And 3,000 of our people are saved that day. Uh, then in Acts 4, verse 8, uh, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He preaches Yeshua uh, to the priests and the Pharisees and the, the Torah teachers and the rulers in the Sanhedrin. And he proclaims this in Acts four twelve: Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. 
Then in Acts 4.31, with the believers are facing persecution, they, they cry out to God. We read this in Acts 4.31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Notice that the result of being filled with the Spirit that the believers spoke the word of God boldly. Then in Acts 9, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately speaks the gospel. In Acts 13, verse 8, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit and he speaks out and rebukes this evil sorcerer, Elymas, who was opposing the message of the gospel. So we see here a clear pattern. Wherever we see this phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, it's automatically followed by a proclamation of the gospel and the word of God. So what's then the implication of this for your life and my life? And we'll put this on the overhead. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit for the primary purpose of proclaiming the gospel. So that when you're with your neighbor or your relative or your coworker or your classmate or a store clerk, You'll be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel and to share your testimony with them. Again, evangelism is a proclamation of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we present the gospel message, but only the Holy Spirit can do the powerful supernatural work of spiritual rebirth and regeneration. So in evangelism, what that means is that we're completely dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. To do what only he can do. When we preach the gospel, we're dependent on the Holy Spirit to do what we can't do on our own. We can't bring spiritually dead people back to life. Only God can take away our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And fill us with his spirit, the spirit of Messiah. So we'll put this on the overhead again. Biblical evangelism is the proclamation of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit with the aim of persuading people to repent and trust in Yeshua as their Messiah, their King, their Savior, their Lord. This is why we preach the gospel. This is why Peter proclaimed in Acts, the gospel in Acts 2 to thousands of our fellow Jews gathered at the temple on Shavuot. This is why Philip preached the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. This is why Paul preached to the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. They're not just giving out information. No, their aim is to persuade. To persuade people to repent and trust in Yeshua. Evangelism is the aim of persuasion. Persuading people. We want to persuade and urge and even plead with people to turn from their sin. And to turn from their self. And to turn to Yeshua. So evangelism isn't just the presentation of the gospel. It's persuasion with the gospel. So evangelism necessarily involves calling someone not just to hear the gospel, but to respond to it, to repent of their sin, to trust in Yeshua, to take themselves off of the throne of their life and invite Yeshua to sit on that throne and to rule and reign over their life, to be a completely devoted follower of Yeshua the Messiah. So in presenting the truth of the gospel, I want you to make sure you don't stop short. Make sure you connect the dots. Make sure you challenge and encourage your hearer to turn from their sin and to trust in Yeshua and surrender their life to him. That invitation, that persuasion to turn and trust in Yeshua is a necessary, vital part of the gospel. The the need for a personal response 
It's what evangelism is all about. You know, in Acts 1 8, Yeshua says, The power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, so that you'll be my witnesses, witnesses to my truth. Now, and then in Acts 2, when Peter preaches the gospel, they're cut to the heart. We read this in Acts 2 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replies, Repent and be immersed, all, every one of you, in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts 2.40, Peter continues. And with many other words, uh, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Do you see this? Peter persuades them. uh, And the result is 3,000 are saved. People's lives were changed for all eternity as a result of Peter's evangelism. Because there was proclamation of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit with the aim of persuading people to repent and to trust in Yeshua. So we don't just present the gospel, we persuade people with it. Now again, we know that ultimately it's only the Holy Spirit who who can do the supernatural work of regeneration. Uh, So we're not talking about trying to manipulate somebody with with man-centered response to a man-centered means. No. We urge people in the power of the Holy Spirit to repent and believe the gospel and submit their lives to Yeshua. So persuasion and urgently pleading is the picture we see in the book of Acts. But it's all based on the power of the Holy Spirit to convict uh, and to change hearts. Eternal urgency should mark our message because it's literally a matter of life and death, heaven and hell. Uh, eternal judgment and salvation. If we realize that people's eternity is dependent on how they respond to the message, then we will plead with them and urge them to respond with all of our heart. This really should energize our evangelism. Uh, So, for example, uh, if you were to walk into your child's room and see them with a gun pointed to their own head, uh, ready to take their own life, uh, you don't say... Well, here are the facts. Uh, if you think, you, you think about doing, you do whatever's best for you and just go ahead and do it. No! Well, you're probably going to get down on your knees and plead with them, please don't do this, don't do this. You plead and you urge and you persuade. And if that's how we respond to an issue of temporal life, how much more when it comes to the issue of eternal life? So we urge and we plead and we persuade. Again, on the overhead, evangelism is the proclamation of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit with the, with the aim of persuading people to repent and to trust in Yeshua with the Messiah. Now, with this backdrop, let me say a word about applying this here at Eschheim. Because our number one priority, our, our prime directive, indeed our vision and our calling as a Messianic Jewish synagogue is to be a light to our Jewish people. A witness to them to lead them to the Lord Yeshua. And to model for them how one can be Jewish uh, and embrace Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, and remain fully Jewish. Indeed, Yeshua says this in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost, and especially his own people, right? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. He came to his own, and he calls us, Matthew Matthew 10.6, to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And in Romans 1.16, he tells us, For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, 
and also to the Gentile. Now to do this, we need to be the mainstream Messianic Jewish synagogue that we are called and have always been called to be. That's the original vision and calling and mission of Etzchayim. By the way, that's also the vision and the mission and the calling of the MJAA, the Messianic Jewish Alliance of America, of which we are a part. So, we're, so for example, we are not a Gentile Christian church. We are not a Hebrew roots cult. or We are not an Orthodox Jewish shul. No, we are a mainstream, MJA-affiliated, Messianic Jewish synagogue. And Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20 and 23. Paul says, Rabbi Shaul says, To the Jews I became as a Jew, so I might win the Jews. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Now today, Judaism, and it has always been, Judaism is very diverse. So what are we talking about? Well, about 95% of the Jews in North Texas are either secular non-religious, reform, or maybe conservative. These are our target audience, the ones most open to the gospel, the ones most likely to, God willing, visit at Zion. The Orthodox are only about 5%. They don't drive on Shabbat and they even get here. They're less open to the gospel and unlikely to come to one of our Shabbat services. And they are not our primary audience. So to paraphrase Paul, we need to become a place that feels open and welcome and normative and authentically mainstream Jewish to 21st century secular and non-religious and reform and conservative Jews in Dallas. Why? So that we might win these 21st century secular and non-religious and reform and conservative mainstream Dallas Jews to the Lord. So, for example, we don't use Christian terminology that's offensive to them. We don't say Jesus or Christ or church or Yahweh. We don't obsess also, we don't obsess over Orthodox rabbinic external minutia of Kashrut or Shabbat keeping details that is a total turnoff to most Jews. And we don't promote fringe Hebrew roots doctrines like separate calendars or, or sacred name or two house or one law. Why? Because our goal is to win our people to Messiah. That's our prime directive. That's why we exist as Etzchayim. So we're, we're, so, so we're willing to sacrifice, hear me well, our personal preferences for the sake of the eternal souls of our people. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, we're willing to become like 21st century mainstream, secular and non-religious and reforming conservative Jews in order to win them to the Lord. That's our number one vision and calling and mission as a Messianic Jewish synagogue. So, if you want to use uh, Christian vocabulary, or practice Orthodox halacha, or embrace certain Hebrew roots doctrines, you can do so at home. But for the sake of the eternal destinies of our people, in order to make us kind of a welcoming place for them, please do not do so here. So let me ask you, are you willing to sacrifice your personal preferences for the greater sake of the gospel? And that goes also for the impression we make by our appearance, by our dress. Uh, When non-believing Jews walk in the door, what are they going to see? What kind of first impression do we make? We only have one chance to make a good first impression. Do we look like a culturally normative 
mainstream Jewish reform or conservative synagogue where fellow Jews will feel at home? Or do we look strange or weird or fringe? Men, I want to encourage you to wear a kippah or a talit. Women, uh, you need to dress modestly. Uh, and most of all, we need to avoid uh, costumes or customs that make us appear, uh, for lack of a better word, Hebrew roots, or that make us appear strange or weird or fringe to our people, that dress that you will not see in a reform or conservative Jewish temple or synagogue, that you only see in a Hebrew roots assembly. So we get to... So again, again, it's sacrificing our preferences for the greater aim of the gospel. So our goal is not to look like first century Israelis. Our goal is not to look at like 18th century Hasidic Jews in Eastern Europe or 19th century American Amish. No, our goal is to obey Paul. Our goal is to obey Paul and therefore do 21st century mainstream Dallas Jews. I became like one of them in terms of creating a space they'll feel at home in and feel normal in so that we can reach out to them with the love of Yeshua. So we can't reach out to them with the love of Yeshua if they take one step in our shul, they see what looks like strange people in strange costumes, and they run out. So again, are we willing to sacrifice our personal shul dress code preferences for the greater sake of the gospel? For the sake of reaching our people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which indeed is the vision and the mission and the calling of Metzchayim. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. So with this imperative to preach the gospel and for Metzchayim to return to its original mainstream Messianic Jewish uh, uh, origins, how do we know when someone is truly saved? What do we mean by, by phrases like the new birth and regeneration? And what are its signs? Because when the Holy Spirit fills you, the result is new life. You become a new creation. Because when we proclaim the gospel, what are we persuading people to do? We're persuading them to become fully devoted followers of Yeshua. And what does that mean to be a follower of Yeshua the Messiah? We'll put this on the overhead. Here's another working definition I'm going to suggest. Becoming a Yeshua follower, being born again, is the, and again, every word is important, is the divinely enabled personal response of individuals to the gospel, in which they repent, turn from their sin, turn from their selves, and they believe, they trust in Yeshua as both Savior and Lord, meaning both the Lord God Almighty and the personal Lord of their life. Let's unpack this definition a bit. First, we said it's the divinely enabled personal response. Ephesians 2 says, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Not sort of dead, uh, or partly dead, or, or mostly dead. <laughs> no, we're dead. And no one who's dead can bring himself to life. So Yeshua has to give you life. Because on our own, in our own fallen natural state, we don't seek God. Uh, we have no interest in God. So God has to change our hearts. And we see this in the very heart of the scriptures, in, uh, in Hebrew scriptures, in Ezekiel 36, 25. The Lord God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. 
I'll remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and I'll move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Do you hear this? These are all things the Lord God himself will do for us that we can't do on our own. Over and over in this passage, God says, I will do this, I will do this, I will do that. That's why grace is described in Scripture as a gift from God. Yes, we have a role to play. We have to repent and and trust and and, in faith. It's absolutely necessary. But how this works together with God's sovereign supernatural grace remains a bit of a mystery. So becoming a Yeshua follower is a divinely enabled personal response to the gospel. Because apart from God, we are without hope. Only God can save us. Becoming a Yeshua follower is divinely enabled. But it's also a result of a personal response. We are held accountable to respond to the gospel. So we must repent and we must believe. Now a lot of people say, yeah, I'm a believer. You don't have to witness to me. Uh, I've already done that. I've done done that. Uh, What do you mean you've done that? Oh, I prayed that prayer long ago. I'm good. But they look at their life and they live like the devil. They love the world. They embrace the world. They live totally in the world. Maybe they go to church on Sunday or synagogue on Saturday. But notice that nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in any of Scripture, does it ever say you're saved by praying a prayer. On the contrary, Scripture says you'll know them by their fruits, by their lifestyle. So how do you know you believed with saving faith? Because even the demons believe. One of the tests that you've repented and believed is that it's an ongoing lifestyle. You can keep on repenting and you keep on believing. And you're still to this very day repenting when you fall short and trusting the Messiah as both your Savior and your Lord. So let's unpack this a little bit, this need to repent and believe. Yeshua began his ministry with this proclamation in Mark 1.15. The time has come, he says, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins. We see it over and over again as a key, but often missing part of the gospel today. Repent. Confess your sins before God. Have remorse for it. Hate it. Flee from it. Turn from it and renounce it and turn back to God. And since the core of our sin is our self-centeredness. A key part of repentance is turning from yourself. Turning from yourself as the Lord of your life. And turn to Yeshua as the Lord of your life. Isaiah 45, 22. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. 1 Thessalonians 1, 8. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. What? How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son Yeshua, whom he raised from the dead, who reserves, who, who, who rescues us uh, from the wrath to come. So we see repent uh, and turning from sin and from self and turning back to God all over scripture. And secondly, we, see, we also see the, exhort, the exhortation uh, to believe, uh, to trust in Yeshua as Savior and Lord. What did Paul say to the Philippian jailer, Acts 16, verse 30? The jailer asked, sir, what must we do to be saved? 
And they replied, believe in the Lord Yeshua and you'll be saved. We see the necessity of belief over and over again. The most famous one probably is Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I want you to note this verb here, confess. You know, confess with your mouth. In the Greek, it's in this present uh, progressive tense. So what does that mean? That means it's not a one-time confession. Paul says, if you confess and continue to confess Yeshua as Lord, of, as Lord, which means Lord of your life, one who rules and reigns over your life, then you'll be saved. Now, what is saving faith? Because as I said, James 2.19, even the demons believe and tremble. And by the way, that's better than a lot of us. At least they tremble. <laughs> they tremble at God and his word. How many of us do that? But the demons don't trust in Yeshua and don't submit to him, right? So again, put this in the overhead. Saving faith is trusting in Yeshua and submitting your life to his lordship and following him. Romans 10.9 makes this clear. You've got to confess Yeshua is Lord. Meaning Lord God and the Lord of your life. That's what you're committing to in saving faith. So we see this dual exhortation here to repent and to believe all throughout the scriptures. And this makes sense because they go together. Uh, because when you repent, you're turning from something and to something else. You're turning from your sin and yourself, and you're turning to Yeshua and trusting in Yeshua the Messiah as your Redeemer and as your Lord. And the circle is complete because when you turn to Yeshua and and you're trusting in him, that means you're turning away from trusting in yourself. Uh, You're you're turning from self, which is a key part of true repentance. So on the overhead, becoming a believer, redemption, the rebirth, is a divinely enabled personal response of repentance and belief in Yeshua as Savior and Lord. You have a personal responsibility Uh, And the people that you preach to, uh, that you share with, have a personal responsibility to respond to the gospel in repentance and belief, trusting in Yeshua as their Messiah. So what is repentance and belief? Look on the overhead. Again, here's some definitions I'm going to offer you. Repentance is turning from sin and self, which marks a radical break with a former life of rebellion against God. And faith, next overhead, faith... Involved not just believing what the Bible says about Yeshua is true, but trusting in him alone for salvation and trusting your life to him. So repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. And both are essentially becoming a Yeshua follower and being born again from above. We turn from our rebellion against God and we turn to Yeshua as the Messiah. Let me close with a couple of important implications of these truths. First, this gospel, and then we'll put this on the overhead. Uh, this gospel must be proclaimed in order for anyone to be saved. People can't come to Messiah unless they hear the gospel. Uh, and, they, and, and so without, they, they can't be saved without understanding and receiving and believing this gospel. So that makes our task of evangelism critically urgent. So connect the dots between evangelism and salvation. People will only be saved when we evangelize because that's the means God has chosen to spread his gospel. He's given us the great commission to make disciples of all the nations, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Let this sink into you. The people around you, that you live around, that you work around, that you go to school with, 
They're only going to come to Yeshua if someone proclaims the gospel to them. Yes, the Lord can sometimes work through supernatural dreams and visions to preach the gospel, but that's the exception, not the rule. And in the book of Acts, note, even when there's a dream or a vision, it's always accompanied by someone going and actually preaching the gospel to them. So, for example, in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius has this vision, but then what happens? Then Peter comes and actually shares the gospel with him, leading to his salvation. So sharing our faith... Sharing our testimony is crucial. It's what the Lord is calling us to do. Indeed, this is not only Yeshua's great commission, but in obedience to that, that's also the vision and the mission and the calling of Eschheim. It is our prime directive. And especially to our people, God's chosen people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We cry out for our people's salvation. But the method God has ordained for that is for you and I to share our faith with them. My holy brothers and sisters, you and I are plan A for the spread of the gospel. And God has no plan B. And we must preach the full gospel and not dilute it down. That includes the full deity and humanity of Yeshua, his death and resurrection, uh, for the atonement of our sins. It includes the necessity of, of personal faith in him, that he and he alone is the way to salvation. Acts 4.12, right? Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. And thus, for example, what that means is uh, our, our, our obedience or our good deeds or our Torah observance, it can't save us. And the gospel must include repentance and must include submitting to Yeshua, not just as our Savior, but also as the Lord of our life, resulting in a new birth becoming new creations, regenerated uh, uh, and transformed with a new heart and a new spirit because the Holy Spirit now lives within you. So we've got to get the gospel right. And we've got to proclaim it with zeal and urgency that others may come to faith in Yeshua. And finally, we've got to understand and communicate that becoming a true Yeshua follower is radical. Someone who becomes a believer has died to everything they used to be and has now received new life in Yeshua. You've been crucified with Messiah and you've been created anew. You've been born again. So that true salvation results in a changed life with new desires and new affections and new priorities and new worldviews, with new behaviors and actions and speech and lifestyle. For you shall know them by their fruits. A redeemed person is a changed person. Not perfect, but quick to repent and turn back to God when you sin. You can have the assurance of salvation, but not because of a, you've one time repented and believed years ago, but because you continue to repent and believe, and today you're still repenting and believing. That is our assurance that we're His. Let me close with two challenges. First, ask yourself, do I know Messiah? Does he know me? Do I have the assurance of my salvation based on my ongoing walk with him? Am I growing in the Lord? Is there evidence of of my spiritual life with Messiah Uh, and my spiritual growth? Am I convicted when I sin? Do I hate my sin and flee from it? 
Or do I live in the world and secretly love sin? Do I sense the Father convicting me when I fall short? Am I equipped to repent, equipped to run back to my Heavenly Father, back into His loving arms? Am I fully trusting in Yeshua today, and Yeshua alone for my life, my decisions, my direction, my salvation? Second challenge. Am I proclaiming Messiah? Am I sharing my faith? Whether it be with store clerks or strangers or neighbors or the hairdresser or a fellow gym member or my classmates or my coworkers or relatives or the repairman. You have the spirit of Messiah living in you for the purpose of making this good news known. So ask yourself, am I sharing the hope that lies within me? Or am I keeping silent and hiding my light under a bushel? And because I'm hiding my light, therefore the people around me, people God has put in my life and put in my path, are not being persuaded to believe the gospel. Because I'm cutting short God's plan for them to hear the gospel. And so I urge you, my Eskheim family, do not be silent. Share your faith, share your testimony, actively look with eyes of faith for opportunities to do so. And be aware of our calling as a Messianic Jewish synagogue to reach our people. So that we don't inadvertently put any stumbling blocks in their path. Amen? Well, let's stand and pray. I want the music team to come up. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for Yeshua. We thank you for his death and resurrection on our behalf. Because he lived the life we couldn't live. And he died the death we should have died. And he defeated the enemy we could not defeat. Help us to make a time truly a place where the imperative of the gospel is number one. Where we are willing to lay down our own personal pet preferences for the sake of reaching our Jewish people. Making a time a place where, where secular or non-religious or reform or conservative Jews can walk in and feel at home. We ask you, Lord, to fill us with your Holy Spirit. The Spirit you promised to send to us so that we may proclaim your gospel in the power of your Spirit. With the aim of pleading and persuading people to repent. And to trust in you, Yeshua. And to submit their lives to your Lordship. Help us not to hide our light under a bushel, but to look for ways every day to share our faith with people that you already are working on. And lead us especially to our fellow Jews, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, as you tell us your gospel is to the Jew first. And help us to preach the full gospel of your holiness, our sin, our need for repentance, that you, Yeshua, are the only way to salvation. We must put our, our trust in you and in you alone. And submit to you as the, Lord, uh, as, the, as the Lord God and as the personal Lord of our life. Help us to live this, uh, to preach this, and to see our own life and the lives of those we witness to transformed and reborn. For all things have passed away. But we pray for all things to become new. We pray this all in your name, Yeshua. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.